that is that hymn new to most of you? I think. Um, you know, incredible though, if you that would definitely be one. I know some people that use uh, hymns or songbooks in their devotional time. Uh, that would be a good one to pull back out and just reflect on the words. Uh, because it really gives us a full picture. Each of those verses gave us a, a different aspect of the work of God's Spirit uh, in the life of the believer, and definitely something to be looking at and reflecting on. Uh, you know, as we start today, I just want to ask you, how many of you still make a d- big deal about celebrating your birthday? Raise your hand. I can't raise my hand because I don't. Okay. Um, now, when you were a kid, it was a big deal, Right? Yeah, you typically as a kid, you got excited about it. You look forward. I know my parents had a tradition. I got to pick the meal. Uh, I know some. Of, I've heard others that have that tradition too. Uh, so it was chicken parmesan. I think was one of my favorites as a kid uh, that I would look forward to that my mom would make for me. Uh, but you know, as I, as I realize as an adult, you know, we kind of wane. We don't get quite as excited about another um, another year, uh, another birthday to celebrate. Uh, I know some of you know that I just celebrated my 50th back in January, and that was definitely a weird feeling. I've yet to have a yet to have a birthday personally that has bothered me. Uh, I've I've struggled more watching my kids age and get to certain seasons in life, uh, thinking that they still were the little toddler that was running around in my living room. But you know that that idea of the birthday, um, we're going to celebrate in a sense celebrate a birthday today a few weeks early. Uh, since I've been trying to pick scripture that relates from what we've been doing in Mission 119, uh, for those that are following along, uh, one of the scriptures this week focused on a birthday. You may not thought of, thought of it this way, but uh, Acts 2, Pentecost, uh, is the birth of the church. Now, you might say, okay, well, yeah, there were, there were disciples gathered. There were people that had already given their life to follow Jesus. But it was at Pentecost that we believe that, that this is where, when the Holy Spirit came, that the church was birthed. Uh, and, and we're going to look at that passage, and, and specifically Acts 2, verses 1 through 13. And, and we'll be looking a little bit in chapter 1, and a little bit after those verses as well, just to unpack the, the meaning, the significance of Pentecost for the church, and for our lives as, as we understand what it means to know that God's spirit has been poured out and that we can experience the fullness of God's spirit in our life. You know, the reality is in, in understanding that Pentecost was the birth of the church, we understand that there's a shift. Those of you that have been walking through the Old Testament, maybe through the Mission 119, uh, or maybe you've read before, walk through the Old Testament, you know that at first when, when God delivered his people out of Egypt, the first place that they built that was a place for God's presence to come and to fill with his spirit was the tabernacle. It was, a te- it was basically an elaborate tent. It had to be something that they could tear down and then move to the next location while they were wondering. Um, but, it, but it was a place that with very specific instructions of, of how to build it, even that tabernacle that was to have a place where God's presence and his spirit would dwell among his people. Later in the Old Testament, we see that that became a permanent dwelling in the temple. And, and there are very specific instructions given to the creation of, of in the building of this temple that would be the place for God's spirit to dwell. But the reality is, is that in the church, we have become the temple. 
In 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16, Paul says rhetorically, he says, do you not know that you, and that's plural, you, not just you, me, like individual, but it's you, plural. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? That that question that Paul asked there is a question that we need to be asking ourselves and, and looking around and asking the body of Christ and asking church the church family to say, do we understand that when I look around that each of you and we together are the temple? We are the place where God has chosen now to fill, to allow his presence to be at work in our lives. And and it's so critical that we nurture in not only an understanding of God's spirit working in our life, but that we cultivate an awareness of God's presence and, and develop a, a an experience each day of walking in the fullness of God's spirit. So today we are celebrating uh, May 23rd would actually be Pentecost Sunday. Uh, and that is uh, in the same way uh, that this the festival of Pentecost, which was a, a harvest festival, uh, was 50 days following Passover. That's why on the liturgical calendar that uh, we don't typically stick to real strictly, uh, but why about 50 days after Passover and after Good Friday and Easter, uh, we celebrate Pentecost. And so we're celebrating a little early. Uh, and so, but in May 23rd, you can celebrate again. Um, as we, when we get to actual Pentecost Sunday. But we're going to go ahead and read Acts 2, verses 1 through 13 together. And I'll make a few comments as we read through. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And again, I, as I said, Pentecost was one of the festivals, harvest festivals. And so people have gathered. Uh, you have, uh, based on what's said earlier in chapter 1, there's a, about 120 people identified disciples that have gathered uh, and and but there's what we're told is that people have gathered from all other nations people the the Jewish people that were coming they had come traveled from from many miles away from all parts of the world had come to celebrate Pentecost it says when the day of Pentecost arrived they were all together in one place and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And, divi- and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterances or utterance. Just a few comments here. You have, there are a few very clear things that are happening in this moment. You have the sound of a mighty rushing wind coming and filling this place. And remember in Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus in John 3, he compared the work of God's spirit to the wind. And here you have not just a stillness of, of the wind, a, a silent whisper of the wind, you have a bold rushing wind that invades this place. And, it's, and, and it would immediately uh, conjure the, the image of God's spirit at work says that the sound like a mighty rushing wind, it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as of fire. It's important that you, most of the translations will have as or like or something there. This, this is the best description trying to, uh, those who were present, trying to describe what they experienced and what they saw. But they're describing that it's as if some sort of flame of fire, like a flame of fire uh, appeared 
and rested on each one of the disciples who had gathered. We don't have to think too hard when looking back, especially those of you that are walking through Mission 119 right now, the significance of fire and God's presence. There's, there's a reminder here again of, of not only the, the connection Jesus made of wind and the spirit, but the idea of fire, it reminds us of God's presence. So there's, there's a powerful display of God's presence, a, a pouring out of God's presence in this moment. And the third, the third thing we see in this is that then divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rest on each of the, one of them. In verse four it says, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And we're going to unpack the miracle of the gift of these languages. These, the people begin to speak languages that they've never learned. And, and God gives them, God's Spirit is working in the filling you, ha- you have in this moment a miracle that takes place that is significant in what Peter then uses as the springboard to give the first real big gospel presentation that we see in the book of Acts. If you keep reading through Acts 2, you see that Peter stands up and he answers the questions of what is happening, and it's in response to people from all these other nations who have gathered to celebrate Pentecost in Jerusalem. They're hearing the work of God proclaimed in their own tongue, and they're wondering what's happening there, and and God uses that to bring over 3,000 people into the church that day. Sorry, I'm going to keep reading here. I told you a few comments, but verse 5 says, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this, this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one one of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and all parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and the visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytites. Now proselytites were basically Gentiles who had, had made the decision to follow the Jewish faith. Uh, So everyone that is gathered is there to celebrate this Jewish ceremony of Pentecost. Um, It says both Jews and proselytites, these these Gentile converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongue the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. Now, again, if we go back and we read through the Gospels, we know that there was nothing about the disciples who Jesus called to himself that would be thinking that there is any capacity that these disciples, most of them uh, from Nazareth or from Galilee, that they would have the knowledge to be speaking and proclaiming the work of God and, and prophetic utterances and, and giving praise to God in, in this incredible diversity of tongues. These were untrained people speaking in languages that they had never been trained to speak. And God, in, the, in filling them with the Spirit, did a work in them to where he used their tongues to declare the mighty works of God in the language that all those who had gathered could hear and understand. 
And, and, and it gets to the point where in these last few verses that there are two responses. Some of the people say um, uh, they're mocking. Say, oh, they're not really, they're, this isn't really happening. This, these, they're just filled with new wine. They're drunk. This is, there's nothing significant happening here. And they're, they're mocking and they're writing it off. And yet others were amazed and perplexed and said, what does this mean? Peter then later, and we'll, we'll get to these, those verses, Peter uses that question of what does this mean as the opportunity to stand and tell, tell those who had gathered what it means. And he presents the gospel and who Jesus is and, and, and all that Jesus had done for them and, and, and the promise of the Holy Spirit and the fulfillment of prophecy that the Holy Spirit is available to all men. And Peter boldly proclaims the gospel and over 3,000 come to faith in response to that question. What does this mean? And so today I'd like us just as a time of reflection to think about what this does mean. Taking that question, what does this mean? For God to have poured out his spirit in this moment and, and, and on his church, on these early disciples. And when we think of this, uh, one of the first things we need to realize is that the pouring out of God's spirit is a fulfillment of promise. It, it's, it's a promise being fulfilled. And, and the first we see it's Jesus's promises being fulfilled. Uh, if you go back to Acts chapter one, verses four through five, Jesus, this is before Jesus ascends to heaven. Uh, it says in verse four and five, it says, and while staying with them, he, Jesus, ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Jesus has given the, the disciples very strict instructions. You don't leave Jerusalem until the promise of the Holy Spirit that I have already talked to you about. Jesus promised his disciples another comforter who would come. That what Jesus was going to leave and ascend to heaven, he gave the promise that of his spirit, God's spirit, coming to fill the believers. So he gave them the instruction to wait in Jerusalem. He reaffirms that in verse one eight, or Acts 1.8, a verse that we often quote uh, in, as a church, because it not only talks about the work of the Spirit and what they were waiting for, but it tells you the purpose for the filling of the Spirit. In Acts 1.8, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So you have in the pouring out of the Spirit and the disciples experience, I mean, think about this. Think about everything the disciples had been through in these 50 days, or 50, 60 days. They saw the one who they believed to be the Messiah arrested, suffered, and died. A horrific death upon the cross. But then they saw, they saw the they saw Jesus three days later, risen and alive in their midst. And, and it says that he walked at the beginning of Acts. It, it talks about how Jesus walked among them, between the point that he, that he rose and the point that he uh, ascended to heaven. He walked among the disciples, proving that he was alive. Through all of this, we see Jesus giving the promise that there was still more to come. 
that while Jesus, and you imagine the anxiety, again, the anxiety that the people were having, the disciples were having, Jesus is left again. They're, they're told to wait and wait for the filling of the Spirit. But you have to wonder just what type of mixed emotions. They, they're excited. Their lives have been changed because of the resurrection. They just saw Jesus ascend to heaven with the promise that he was going to return. And now they're waiting. They're waiting for the Spirit to come. And, and they experience the, literally, I believe, it's almost like, I remember in college, I lived in an apartment. It was an old apartment. Had the old rattly windows and we were a block away from a train. Um, that was always fun. <laughs> because if the train would go flying through, the windows would shake. And that's the closest I think I've ever experienced in my own life to what it must have been like in that room, gathered with the 120, gathered, waiting. They were waiting for the, the promise of the Holy Spirit. And the wind powerfully moves. I believe probably the walls were shaking. And you have the image of the, these images of fire resting on each person, and, and they're filled with the Spirit, and they begin to proclaim the work of God in languages that they were not taught to speak. It's pretty crazy when you think about what that must have been like for the disciples. And yet, at, at the heart of what we read in this is this is Jesus fulfilling his promise. He promised that the Spirit would come. In Peter's message, in the verses that follow, uh, picking up in verse 15, we also see that this is not only Jesus fulfilling his promise, but this is fulfilling the promise of the prophet Joel. Peter says in verse 15, For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall, all, and they shall prophesy. Now, when you read through the Old Testament, you see that the idea of people being filled and in, under the influence of God's spirit, it typically happens to a select group of people. Samson is filled, and he, and he does these incredible feats of strength. You see the, the spirit working in Moses and in, in, in the different characters that we read about through the Old Testament. But what you see in this promise and what the people were longing for based on the prophet Joel was that there would be a day coming in the last days when God would come to establish his kingdom, that God was going to pour out his spirit on all flesh, and that we would all be given the opportunity to experience the fullness of God in our lives. So that even the male servants and the female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And you realize that's exactly what happened. In, in the disciples who were filled at Pentecost, when they began to declare the mighty works of God and the people began to hear that and respond and say, what is this? What does this mean? They were filled and were now prophesying, lifting up proclamations of praise to God and, and for who he is and, and his mighty work. And he was drawing people to himself. The Holy Spirit's coming was a fulfillment of promise, something that people were waiting for, longing for. And, and, and it's something we need to remember that in the Christian life, we shouldn't overlook the significance of the gift of God's spirit in our life. 
when we think about what it means, we also see, and especially as you reflect on Peter's message, is that the Holy Spirit is available to all. And that's reflected in Joel's prophecy that we just read, that the Spirit would be poured out on all. But what we see in, in Peter's message is he not only presents the gospel, he, he tells the people that have gathered what is going on there, and he, and he re- rehearses who Jesus is and, and that Jesus had died and that he rose again and that he has ascended. But then he calls them to a place of repentance and a place where they could experience the gift of salvation and experience the fullness of God's spirit in their own lives. And it's very clear theme that we see through all of this is that's not just a gift. The gift of God's spirit and the gift of salvation that we see Peter proclaiming is not just for a select few. It's for all people. Acts 2.21, it says, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In Acts 2.36-39, towards the end of Peter's message, he says, let all of the house of Israel know, therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? What you see in that moment is that the gospel has been proclaimed. Peter has proclaimed the gospel. He's, he's lifted up Jesus and said, this is who this Jesus is, the Jesus that you crucified, that he, but that, that he didn't just die, he rose again. He conquered death. You go back and read the whole of Peter's message. But he presents the gospel of who Jesus is. He is the Lord. He is the Christ whom you've crucified. And it says the people were cut to heart. God's spirit is already working on the, in the lives. He's, he's already drawing them to a place of hearing Peter proclaim the gospel because of God's spirit working through the disciples. That idea of being cut to heart is what God's spirit does in bringing conviction. God's spirit brings conviction to the world and brings conviction into our lives. And, and the people, when we experience conviction, we want to ask, what do I do? How do I, how do I respond when God convicts me? The people have heard the message of the good news of Christ. They're cut to their heart and they cry out, brothers, what shall we do? This is Peter's response. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are afar off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. You know, you, it's, typically when I've read through Peter's message in the past, I always just focus more on the idea of, okay, the Spirit comes, it empowers Peter to proclaim the gospel, and people are saved. That's the central thrust to what you see happening there. But in these words that we just read, it's very clear that part of people coming to faith in Christ was them receiving the same promise of what the disciples experienced in the upper room. That when people repented, which means a turning, repentance is if you're walking in one direction, repentance is literally a turning and back in the other direction. And the call to repentance spiritually is saying, I'm no longer going to keep living my own life where I call the shots, where I'm in charge. I'm going to turn my life, and I'm going to turn towards Jesus. I'm going to repent and turn toward him. 
says that we're there to repent and there to be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Christ Jesus for the forgiveness of sin. The idea of being baptized for the forgiveness of your sin is, is coming to a point that we not only repent, we turn towards Jesus, turn away from our old life and turn toward Jesus, but that we put our trust in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us for the forgiveness of our sin. The verse specifically says the forgiveness of your sins. When we come and we reflect on who Jesus is and what Jesus did on the cross for us and, and his conquering death and rising again, we realize that we have the gift to not only turn away and repent, but we have the gift of salvation that we can experience the forgiveness of Christ, to have our sins forgiven. That's at the heart of oh, what we celebrate is, is the basic uh, understanding of the Christian experience that we've come to a point that we've surrendered our life to Jesus, we've put our trust in Jesus for salvation, for the forgiveness of sin, and we give our life to follow him. But that's not all that happens when someone comes to faith. Again, think back to Jesus' conversation with, with Nicodemus in John 3. Unless a man be born again, he will not see eternal life. Unless that, that Nicodemus is, is confronted with that idea of being born by the Spirit, that, that there's something that has to happen in the life of the believer, that it's not just enough to repent, it's not just enough to put our faith and trust in Jesus, but when we do that, God's Spirit fills us. Paul actually talks about the fact that it's in that moment that we're sealed. That God's spirit is given to the believer in and, and like a stamp. If you ever have like an embossed stamp that you stamp it and it marks something as a possession, as an ownership. I have a, something like that that I can mark my books in my library. It doesn't work real well with my digital collection anymore, but my old collection, I could mark that and it could mark this book belongs to Doug. That, that the seal of the Spirit of, that happens in regeneration when, when we come to faith in Christ is the gift of God's Spirit that is available for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord to be saved. If you want to come to a place in your life that you're experiencing God working in your life, that you can not only know that your sins are forgiven, that, that Jesus is alive and he's working in you, or as we sang about this morning, in abiding with Christ, that, that we want to invite Jesus to make his home in us, to be Lord and be in control. We do all that. We come to faith. We, we receive the forgiveness of sin, but we also receive the very Spirit of God in our life, and he seals us. He marks us. And, and because his Spirit lives in us, he looks at us, and, we, and he sees that we belong to him. That's the gift of God's Spirit. That's for all people. Pentecost is a reminder not only of the Holy Spirit coming as a promise, but it's a reminder that that promise is for all people. For anyone who would repent and put their faith in Christ, they can receive the gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sin, and the Spirit into their lives. We also see, though, in this that there's a purpose. Acts is very clear. Luke, the writer of Acts here, is very, very clear that one of the most significant reasons for the filling of the Spirit is so that God's people, those that are called and who are filled with His Spirit, can be effective witnesses for Jesus. And 
And this takes us back to the verse we read earlier in Acts 1.8. He's already told, Jesus has already told the people to wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit would come. He reminds them of this again in verse 8. Before Jesus ascends, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. One of the most important reasons that we're given the blessing of God's Spirit to be filling us is so that we can be effective as witnesses for Christ. And this is confirmed in the context of this account. First, we have the miracle of Pentecost. The miracle of Pentecost is not only the filling, but again, the the, the strange miracle where, where people from all these different parts of the world are hearing the mighty works of God in their own languages. There's something, if, if you didn't see that as a miracle, that that's miraculous. I mean, I, I, if I gave you an assignment, if I gave you 10 of you an assignment to speak, give you a simple sentence and say, look, you have no time to think about it. You need to declare this sentence in this language without any training. We're like, no, nah, I don't think I can do that. In this moment, God, God is at the birth of the church, is making a, a do, one of the greatest miracles we see in Scripture. God is speaking through these 120 that have gathered. They're declaring the work of God in languages that they don't know so that the people that are gathered could hear and respond. That's the first aspect we see of, of, the, of evidence of the power of God in being a witness through the work of the Spirit. But we also see that in Peter's message. In Peter's message, he, he again, think about this. We, earlier in Acts 1, it says there's 120 gathered. By the end of Peter's message and the response, it says that over 3,000 were added. Over 3,000 believers were added that day. Now, think about that, 120. Let's imagine, I mean, pre-COVID, imagine we're gathered, we're worshiping, 3,000 more people come squeezing in. That's a miracle. God, God uses this to really, I believe, it's like literally lighting a fire at the beginning of the church where he, go, he takes God's people and these 120 disciples of Christ that have gathered waiting for the fullness of the Spirit. And it's very clear that this would not have happened apart from God's Spirit. They would not have had the effectiveness as a witness apart from God's Spirit doing this work in their lives. Peter, the same person who could not stand and, and own his relationship to Jesus when challenged by a servant girl when Jesus was arrested. Remember he said he, he didn't know Jesus, denied him three times. That same Peter stands and gives a message boldly telling this crowd that is gathered to be and, and inviting them to repent and put their faith in Jesus and receive the promise of the Spirit. Peter demonstrates the power of the Spirit to be a witness. And, and we have to ask ourselves in, in our own life, you know, our, during the prayer time this week, uh, one of the things I've been doing on the online prayer time, uh, we have people that have been gathering here, a few people, and that's a plug too. If you're not, if you're available on Wednesday night, uh, we've got elders here in the sanctuary. We invite you to come out, join them in prayer. <laughs> on Wednesday, as I've been leading the online prayer time, I've been giving a little prequel, like we read the scripture of what I'm preaching on that week, and we talk about it. And um, One of the persons shared this week, they said, well, you know, it, it, 
highlighted the fact that sometimes it's, it's only when we put ourselves in a place where we need God's Spirit, where we really experience the fullness of God's Spirit and power. And we explain that. If, if, you're, if you're only ever surrounding yourself by people, with people that already know Jesus and you're not putting yourself in a place where you need to be a witness for Christ and, and declare the work of God in your own life, if you're not putting yourself in a place where you can actually be an effective witness, you're like what Jesus would say, you're the light and being put under a basket instead of being put on a hill for all men to see, that being the salt and light in this earth, we, we need to put ourselves in a place where God's spirit is needed. We need, I mean, I, I appreciate the person that said, you know, some people think they only need God's spirit at certain times. I need God's spirit just to go to Walmart. Um, that's more and more true uh, in recent months. We need God's spirit every day. But, but there is, the observation that was made this week, I think is an accurate statement that, that often we don't take steps of faith that put ourselves in a place where, where we have to depend on God and his power and his resources. And so I want to challenge you this week when we think about the idea of being filled with the spirit to be a witness for Christ is take a step that is going to stretch you, that is going to make you uncomfortable, that is going to put you in a place where if God doesn't show up, you're not sure how it's going to go. Because too often we rely on our own ability, we rely on our own understanding, we rely on our own resources, all things that God can use, but he wants us to be at a place where we are fully dependent upon him, that his spirit would speak through us, and that we can be a witness for him. One of the things that is very clear in this account, and, and again, Theologians will often argue, and I know there are different denominations that take different approaches on, on things. We believe in the alliance very clearly that if you come to faith in Jesus, you've received the, you've received the gift of God's Spirit. What's affirmed in these words, that, that anyone who repents and believes, puts their faith in Christ, they receive the gift of the Spirit. But when we read throughout the rest of the New Testament, it's very clear that God doesn't just want us to rest in that promise he wants us to be cultivating a life where, where God's spirit has full influence over us. And that's what we describe in the alliance as being filled with the spirit. In, in Acts 1 and Acts 2, the term baptism and filled with the spirit are used interchangeably, talking about this initial pouring out of God's spirit. In the, in the alliance to avoid confusion, we, we talk about the fact that not only we receive the Spirit when we come to faith in Christ, but God calls us to be filled with the Spirit, to be under the influence of God's Spirit. And, and that mean, the only way that you can do that is to be fully surrendered, to ask for the filling of God's Spirit, to ask God to fill you, to use you, to work through you. But we have to be surrendered. The best image, I think, is from Ephesians 5.18. It says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. The point Paul was making there was not, a, not speaking to alcohol or the use of alcohol. His point was using that as an illustration to say that in the same way that alcohol can influence and can control, we need to be so under the influence and under the control of God's Spirit. And the only way we experience that is to be surrendered to be surrendered fully. And, and, and the reality is, in our lives, 
often we surrender parts of our life and we hold certain parts back. And we deny ourselves the, the experience of God's fullness in our life, the fullness of his spirit, because we're holding on to things. God's spirit is in our life, but if we're not broken and surrendered, we're not experiencing the fullness of God's spirit. I've used the, used the illustration before, and I don't have the props with me today, but how many of you have ever used Alka-Seltzer? Remember Alka-Seltzer? Okay, for those of you who don't know, I shared this on Wednesday, and Marty Drunell said something about feeding it to birds, which I said, no, nah, I don't think so. It's not a good outcome for the bird. Um, Alka-Seltzer is a little cold tablet. When I was in college, it was like the best thing. When I, those first times I was really, really sick away from home, Alka-Seltzer plus cold medicine was what I would use. And, and they come, you get a box, you open it up, and there's a little, tab, little individual tablet that's wrapped in paper. Now, if I put that tablet that's wrapped in paper and stick it in a glass of water, it's not going to do anything. Technically, you could say that the Alka-Seltzer tablet is in the water but it's not influencing the water. That, that's a picture of a Christian life who, for the person who's come to faith in Christ, you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, the God's spirit lives in you. But if you're not daily surrendering to the influence and control of God's spirit in your life, you're like that tablet in the water that's not broken. And, and God invites us, just like we have to rip that tablet open and drop it in to where it, the, the, what do I think the commercial would say, the effervescence, like the bubbles, still didn't make it taste any better. Uh, those who used that, but it worked. But you know that it, until that tablet is broken and it's and it's put into a place where it can influence the water, it doesn't have its full effect. And that's like that for so many believers. Paul talks, and we're going way beyond what we have time for today, but Paul talks about those who live in the spirit versus those who live in the flesh. He calls us to be people of the spirit. People who are fully surrendered, seeking to let God's spirit influence every part of our life. The only way we can enter into that life is to be broken and surrendered. Every aspect of our life. And, and recognize that not only do we come to a point of crisis that we need to choose to do that, to surrender our, to God's spirit. But then we need to understand that that's followed daily. By daily surrendering. Literally in Ephesians 5.18, it's be being filled with God's Spirit. Because even when we have a moment where we're filled with the Spirit, the reality is we leak. And we need fresh fillings of God's Spirit each day in our lives. And as a congregation, we need fresh fillings of God's Spirit in the life of our congregation and our church family so that we can be an effective witness to this community and to the world. But the question for all of us today is not only one, have I come to that point as what Peter presented in presenting the gospel and the good news of Christ and, 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 and being in that place of the people and saying, what do I need to do? The response is repent, be baptized, put your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin. Receive the gift of God's spirit. If, you, if, you're, if you're here today and you've never made that initial decision to trust Jesus, don't leave today without talking to me, talk to Pastor Steve, talk to Jim or one of the other elders. But I want to leave us all with that challenge to say, are we at a place where we're experiencing the full influence of God's spirit in our life? Are we that image of a, a glass of water that the tablet can't have any effect because it's unbroken? Or have we broken it open and allowed God's spirit through our brokenness and through our surrender to him 
allowed his spirit to influence every part, to reign over us, to have control over every aspect of our life. If not, as we close in prayer, I just invite you to just pause. And if there's anything that God's spirit brings to your attention that you believe is unsurrendered, I just want to invite you to surrender those to him this morning. Today, as instead of a closing song, Liz has a song that she's going to be doing as a minister ministry of music, and I think she'll explain a little bit. Uh, opportunity, if you feel led to respond, the altar is open. But I'm going to offer a prayer, and I'm going to have Liz come to share. Did I say something I wasn't supposed to say? Okay. Um, but I want to invite Liz to come as I pray, but just I encourage you in these final moments together that you just take the time to really just reflect and ask God's Spirit to speak to you, And if he identifies any area of your life that you just need to surrender and ask for a fresh filling of his spirit, that you'd be willing to be broken and surrendered and ask God. It's a gift. The spirit is a gift. Our surrender is just the way that we can experience the gift of God's spirit in our life is to be broken and surrendered and then to receive in faith the gift of God's spirit. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are thankful, Lord, for the gift of of salvation. But we're also thankful, Lord, that in coming to faith, Lord, and in receiving the gift of forgiveness, that we also get to experience your presence in our lives, that, that you pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. Lord, help us to not be satisfied with just some theological truth or statement to know that we, as, as Christians, we have the Spirit in our life. Lord, may we daily seek to be filled controlled and under the influence of your spirit in our lives. May we be living lives, Lord, that put us in places where we need your spirit to be working in us and through us so that we can proclaim the good news of Christ to the world around us. Speak to us now. I pray your spirit would just be speaking even as Liz sings. Speak to our hearts, Lord, and and help us to respond however you lead us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.